This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What a week. I'm here with my co-host, David Figler, and our lead producer, Sonia Cho Swanson. And today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking about court battles over a murdered journalist's sources, why a hockey player got sued by an exotic reptile farm, and contaminated cannabis in Nevada dispensaries. Yikes. It's Friday, January 26, 2023. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Good morning, David. Good morning, Sonia. How are y'all? Hey, I'm surviving. It's the end of the week. Long week. End of the week. (laughs) End of the week. End of the week. Sorry, mantra. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it with our listeners. So let's get into the news because it is news roundup time. Mm -hmm. Number one, a judge has rejected the Review Journal's request for sanctions against Metro for searching Jeff Gehrman's cell phone. David, let's start with like basic level one. Why isn't Metro allowed to search his phone? Because per my law and order knowledge, I feel like the first and easiest place to start with a murder investigation is to dig through the cell phone. Yeah, and that is exactly what Metro is saying. We have an ongoing investigation, even though we think we know who did it, but we need to get all the evidence gathered and cell phones and other electronic devices are always our go-to. But they can't right now because a couple of courts have stopped the measure based on the RJ's intervention. So that's where the case is, that these six devices that were seized belonging to Jeff Gehrman as part of this murder investigation are on hold. They're in Metro's possession, but Metro is not allowed to do anything until now the Nevada Supreme Court pipes in on it. Nevada Supreme Court has asked for some more briefing. And so this is going to be a little while before this particular issue is resolved. So the RJ's argument is that they want to protect Jeff Gehrman's sources, right? It's just like a, a editorial sanctity kind of, of journalism argument, Oh, right? yeah. That's what they're basing everything on. They're saying, look, we understand that there's a murder investigation. We understand that a person accused has the right to anything that might help them with their defense. But we also have this very strong First Amendment right to protect a journalist's sources to protect Mm. their confidential communications. We don't want to burn sources. I mean, the RJ is suggesting, you know, Jeff Gehrman had been around for so long as an investigative reporter in his electronics. Mm. There could be information completely unrelated to the murder uh, about corruption in Metro. And now Metro has that. Like, that would be really, really bad for journalistic principles uh, and the cornerstone of democracy. So that's that's where they get the kind of the gravitas of their actions against Metro. And the Supreme Court is sorting all that out. My question is, if Metro is sanctioned, what does that mean for them? What are the consequences Mm. of getting sanctioned? Uh All right. Well, yeah. And the RJ said, hey, judge, you got a couple of options if you want to sanction them. Now, here's what the RJ was saying. Turns out 
that right at the very front end of this murder investigation, someone from Metro looked mm. at at least one of Jeff Gehrman's cell phones. Shame. Um, but none of that's mm. been recorded anywhere. And even after the recent hearing, and as much as the RJ tried, and the judge even tried, Metro was very and have been in the past very good at sort of redirecting the conversation. So the direct question was never answered. How did the RJ find out that Metro even looked at the phone? So there was a pleading where it was represented that that had happened. So Metro admitted it in a pleading, right? And Mm -hmm. then the RJ pounced on it. They're like, wait a second, you told us you didn't look at anything and there's an order to not look at anything. What's going on? We're going to have you sanctioned. And then Metro's response was, well, we had a little bit of miscommunication. It depends on how you define terms. No one from homicide looked at it. They accidentally swiped up. They didn't inhale. Oh, they (laughs) deflect, deflect, deflect until the point where at the hearing, they never answered the question. Who saw it? What did they see? That was that was asked directly of Metro and never answered, which is a very Metro based on my experience, a very Metro lawyer tactic to not answer those direct questions. But I could tell you what they asked for. They asked for a lot. They asked for. Metro to shut their damn mouths and never be able to talk again in court proceedings. That's literally what, what they asked for. And then another thing they asked for was that a special hearing master be appointed to take a look at all this stuff. And that is a very, um, people might might remember that as being kind of a topic that occurred in the co- classified documents involving the Trump um, Mar-a-Lago raid, that that was requested of the Trump administration to have a special master look at it first. You know, mm. basically someone to screen it out. So the idea of the third party would be like, hey, this person's not going to reveal sources to Metro, but would look for relevant information to the actual murder case. Yeah, that they would then pass on to both Metro and the defense, who is still involved in this because, you know, a man has been accused right. of killing Jeff Garrett. Metro was very against it. The district attorney's office was very against it. The RJ was pushing it. They even had some names of some people that they thought would be really good. But the judge rejected all of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting to me as a journalist, too, because I'm thinking even if Metro doesn't find anything related to Jeff Gehrman's sources on his devices, right? Say that for whatever reason, Jeff had scrubbed his sources or saved them somewhere else mm-hmm. or just kind of anonymized them in some way. The idea that Metro can search a journalist's phone, I think, creates a chilling effect for anybody who might want to talk to journalists in the future, right? The the protections aren't just for his current sources. It's for all journalists' future yeah, sources, and too. and that's one of the arguments that the RJ made in the district court, and that we'll probably hear again when it gets up to the Nevada Supreme Court if they do hear our argument. But yeah, and, and Metro is saying, we acknowledge that there is this right of journalistic integrity and sources and confidential. We don't want to breach that. But there's also some bigger things at issue here. The society interest in having a legitimate conviction in a murder case, a defendant's Mm. interest in having all available information that could help or mitigate their case. And those are constitutional rights, too. And so now you kind of have a clash Mm. of, you know, big rights. And where Mm. where does it all land? Another interesting little subtopic that came up was, like, can the RJ invoke these sort of rights on behalf of a deceased journalist? And mm. the judge in the district court proceeding this week didn't address that. But that might also kind of come up is, you know, who has a right to these phones? Some of these electronic devices belong to Jeff Gehrman, now presumably belong to his family or his estate. Does the mm-hmm. RJ even have a right to get that stuff on any level or the contents mm. therein? And the RJ is saying, yeah, we do. And 
Metro, one of the arguments was like, no, you don't. And so, you know, this is a, a really oh, interesting. interesting legal battle. But this was kind of like a little bit of a sideshow preview. The real big fight's coming in the Nevada Supreme Court in the next few months. Wow. we got to keep our eyes on it, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So the joys of Vegas and our weird relationship with animals. Let's talk about the hockey player and the snake farm. <laughs> and bankruptcy? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I have a wild tale to spin for you guys here. But first, I want to give credit to two journalists at the Review Journal. It's Mick Ackers and Arthur Kane who did this reporting on the ordeals that Golden Knights goalie Robin Leonard has been through. So Leonard and his wife filed for bankruptcy on December 30th. This is, you know, kind of a sad story in a lot of ways. They claimed that they had $50 million of business-related debt. A lot of the... Uh, That's a lot of yeah. hockey pucks you got to stop. <laughs> That's a lot of hockey pucks. I mean, if you think about it, he signed a $25 million contract with the Golden Knights in 2020. That's a five-year contract. So this is debt that outweighs his five-year contract twofold. A lot of the folks coming after Leonard and his wife for unpaid debts were from this company called Solar Code. It sounds like he invested in a solar company but did not end up paying people that he should have paid, allegedly. But buried in the many claims was an interesting business. A tale. Small business. A tale. <laughs> a tale. A snake tale. Literally. Oh, guys. A reptilian Stop tale. It. A business called Rennick Reptiles. And then this is even kind of wilder, okay? So Rennick Reptiles is a snake farm, an exotic snake farm based in Missouri. <laughs> the snake capital of the world. <laughs> Apparently. Which, I mean, I guess exotic snakes go for like a very high price. So this could be like a very profitable business, I'm guessing. But shortly after Robin Leonard bought Rennick Reptiles in 2017, the couple that owned Rennick Reptiles, uh, this husband and wife team, the wife murdered the husband, oh, no. Ben Rennick of Rennick Reptiles. They've been watching too much TV and a particular documentary in, in yeah. you know, particular. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tiger King much, uh, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so what investigators think is that Lindley Rennick was afraid that Ben Rennick was going to take away her children because she was draining money from the snake business to feed her spa business. Mm. So here's the connection to Robin, which is that the... Reptile business claims that Robin was not paying 
reptile business, the amounts that they had agreed, that he had agreed to pay them for the business. So that suit was settled out of court in November 2019. And the reptile business has still been running, except Lindley Rennick was actually sentenced and found guilty of second degree murder in January 2022. So that's a wild tale for the ages right there. I'm just wondering how Robin Lehner and his wife even learned about this business to invest right? in the first place. And uh, second question, which is probably the first question, why they think that was a good idea to put all their snake eggs into that basket. <laughs> into <laughs> one on. nest. <laughs> Well, theoretically, they were also invested in some solar and so forth. Yeah. But I think this is kind of interesting to me because professional athletes have to find some other source of income after their very short careers, mm -hmm. right? I mean, hockey players, it sounds like, have a slightly longer career in the actual sport than other sports. I think they, they can generally play for like five to six years. They tend to retire around the age of like 29 or 30. Robin is 31. And he's been out all this season after getting hip surgery. So, you know, I, I can't imagine that folks who have this huge payout when they're very young in their 20s are not thinking about what are they going to do with this massive sum of money and how am I going to use that to support my family in the coming decades? Yeah, there's a... a kind of, yeah, I guess we're going to call it a documentary on Netflix yeah. called Get Smart With Money, but like they follow the journey of one specific athlete and show like Ooh. him getting hurt, uh, how much money they get paid, the the work that they've got to do along the way. And your body is is your source of income. Mm. So once you're right. injured, you have no income. So you go from 10 to 12, 15,000 bucks a week to zero. Uh, and so then if you didn't buy your house outright and you didn't buy your car outright, then you're just sitting through and looking at all your money dissipating and slowly mm -hmm. but surely it's going to disappear. So I think the NBA, there's been a lot of good work done to set up retirement plans for the players. And by that, I mean, there's mentorship programs from previous athletes them talking to each other because oh, yeah. nice. in your 20s, I mean, most of the time you're dumb. You're money dumb. Yes. Right. <laughs> you're just like and, money. And you hope that there's a credible financial advisor somewhere in the horizon and not someone who's going to exploit you, which happens all the time to an athlete, you know, athletic. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that couple needed to watch that particular documentary and make some better choices, because I feel like solar solar always feels slimy. Reptiles are slimy. These are not good places to put your money <laughs> if you want it to multiply. Well, without, you know, risk. <laughs> you yes. know, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. First of all, let's just say that it sucks when your financial life is put all over the media. Oh, God, of And course. that sucks. And, and I understand why. I mean, he's a high-profile person in our community. None of us would love our finances to be kind of put out in the world and how sad that is, especially when you're struggling. But also, let's not forget that in the very short history of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, there has been controversy around who the goalie should be. And there were a lot mm. of, you know, conversations about whether or not Laner was up to the task, especially replacing our beloved Flurry. And you got to imagine that since these things have been mounting since 2019, that these financial pressures and stuff probably weighed heavy on his mind and maybe impacted uh, his ability to perform as well. I, I, mm. I can't imagine. I mean, you know, hockey is mm, also yeah. a very big mental game. And, you know, what sure. a what a big stressor that must have been. And that's, I guess, part of the conversation, too, in a little bit. But still kind of sucks that all that stuff gets made public uh, and dirty laundry. But good yeah. good for Goss on a podcast. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> well, hopefully they find some ways to 
to recoup or get it together. But I mean, bankruptcy is like clean slate. So ish. Round two. Some and rebuilding. Yes. Let's hope ish. he doesn't have yeah. to yeah. go get, you know, like a job as a, you know, overnight <laughs> clerk at the Starbucks. Or Trader Joe's. <laughs> right. Either way. All right, my dears. Uh, I wish I could say, okay, let's go talk about other things that are good. Nope. Uh, apparently, contaminated cannabis was sold in dispensaries all over the state, so statewide in Nevada. On Ooh. January 19th, a press release from the Cannabis Compliance Board, aka the CCB, uh, advised customers and patients to avoid or take caution when consuming cannabis products from one particular grower. And that's Clark natural medicinals. I thought it was just going to be the flour, but it's not. It's the flour, it's the edibles, it's the free rolls and mm-hmm. the concentrate. So it's all of those products. And what's most surprising to me is we're talking about weed sold between August 31st of 2021 to January 9th of 2023. So Ooh. across multiple years. Oh, that weed has been consumed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, what's left of them? <laughs> August 2021. Right. I'm confused if you have stuff from that long ago. You should get rid of that anyways. Yeah. Uh, But like weed recalls were not on my bingo card. So when we looked at the list of dispensaries out of 104, over half of those were in Clark County. Those are ones that had this product in mm -hmm, them at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's also interesting is it's contaminated by... Ethafon. So, Sonia, what do we know about Ethafon? Yeah, so this is just based on some cursor research. I'm, I'm not a, a plant chemist by any means, what? but from what I can, I know, <laughs> surprise you guys. Anyhow, so from what I can tell, Ethafon is a, a plant growth regulator. They kind of spray it on crops, you know, like wheat, coffee, rice, pineapples, tomatoes, bananas. And what that does is it kind of speeds up the fruiting process. So the plant basically turns their little buds into delicious fruits or wheat or coffee that we can eat more quickly. What we can tell so far, and there's a lot of very dense FDA type documents online, PDFs that I was digging through, but ethathon is what they call moderately acutely toxic, which means that its effects are moderate, but also short term. If it's ingested, it sounds like it's most dangerous to infants, which I mean, I would guess you're not leaving gummies around infants, hopefully. That's a whole nother can of laws. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, exactly. But it sounds like what we have evidence of its harmful effects, it's mostly when it comes in contact with your skin. So it can cause severe skin and eye irritation, which is making me think that maybe the harm of ethathon and weed production, at least, is maybe more to like workers or farmers who are actually like handling the plants, right? Right. So it's like, okay, yeah. and it's it's whoever's handling it in that early stages of production. But it's like, if it's legal for all these other types of foods and fruits and vegetables, sure. and it's on marijuana, it's like, it's not looking good on either side of well, any type of regulation. That's why I want to jump in here, because I, I mm-hmm. know the takeaway whenever the CCB puts out essentially a recall that we immediately think contaminated. But I want to push back on the CCB a little bit because I think they're very conservative. And and what appears to have happened here is that a chemical that wasn't on the no-no list for cultivators in our state and all marijuana that's sold in Nevada has to be grown in Nevada under the law. Mm. Um, uh-huh. And that they discovered, oh, this was being used. And then they looked at these old FDA circulars and stuff. And they said, well, we, we haven't exactly approved it. So we should probably recall all of it. And that seems to be an abundance of caution. 
I think it's because they don't really know if it's bad or not. They maybe haven't mm. done enough research or something. The CCP mm. isn't like completely transparent on how this all came about. But what they did make clear is that Clark Natural Medicinals is not in trouble. Like they didn't like fake testing. We in Nevada don't even test for this stuff because it's not on anybody's radar and it was just being used. So it may very well be perfectly safe, may not be. Nobody knows. So don't smoke it. That's kind of the messaging that came out. But it was mm-hmm. really muddied in that press release. And that's on the CCB. What I'm hoping is that people don't freak out and that Clark Natural Medicinals doesn't get the weight of ire and or lawsuits. Uh Right. Like you're using these toxic chemicals on our like gummies. I think their defense would be (laughs) it actually is a working thing that the FDA allows. The FDA hasn't banned it. You haven't banned it. We didn't do anything Mm -hmm. wrong. But now, you know, some people are probably going to be demanding their money back because this is a cultivator who provides product to all these dispensaries like Vogue said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I mean, yes, it's used on consumed goods, but I mean, it sounds like there hasn't been any testing for the side effects of smoking a plant growth (laughs) chemical. You know, this is the pesticide. I don't want to smoke my pesticides. No, file it under abundance of caution. But yeah. So I appreciate the caution. But yes, you know, it sounds like, um, you know, it's very clear that they just weren't aware. Uh, and and yeah. more testing needs to be done. And, you know, in my head, I like to think like pre-legalized weed was grown. And it was pure and <laughs> wild, flourishing in the field. You're fooling yourself. And, You're fooling you know, yourself. Was, All sorts of chemicals were being best used. Best life in, in Mexico. OK, like it was doing its best, doing all the wonderful things and being pure weed. But who the heck knows? I don't know how that <laughs> How these how these gardens grow, but I mean, like, what are you guys' thoughts overall about like weed regulation? Because I had friends who were like, one hundred percent against it because how it changes the conversation about weed and like where do, where does this weed come from? Hmm. I think the bottom line is that the CCB wants to make sure that anyone who buys it can feel safe, that it's been tested and that it's clear of anything that might be dangerous. And I appreciate that mission. This one's a bit of an anomaly, but I think that's better in the end. But we could talk about the whole concept of regulated cannabis for a long time. Yeah, but to your point, Vogue, I thought earlier was a really good point. Like a lot of the testing we've done around crops and pesticides are for consumable products like fruits, tomatoes, things that we ingest. Mm -hmm. What kind of research has been done on the effects of these same pesticides on a product that you smoke? That is fascinating to me. And it also makes me wonder how many of the regulations that we use for consumable crops, fruits, whatever, can actually carry over to weed. Do we need a whole new set of scientific research? And there's also this whole new trend of clean cannabis. So basically crops that are grown organically, um, cannabis that is grown in actual like sunlight. What are the ways that different terpenes or flavors or THC develops in plants that are actually grown in sunlight? Cannabinoids. And also cannabinoids. Exactly. What are also the effects for workers who like grow cannabis in cleaner, less pesticide heavy conditions? I think this is a totally new field and so fascinating. If I had options and if I was like able to like kind of see where the sourcing of my cannabis came from, I would probably try to opt for more clean cannabis or organically grown cannabis. I'm going to say it. I, I, I'm a hippie in that way. Maybe a little like of a bougie hippie, <laughs> but I'll take the organic <laughs> cannabis is what I'm saying. Well, you know, Nevada has two problems. One, all weed has to be grown inside under law. 
Huh. Yeah. And num- Interesting. Uh, number two, the federal government still has it classified with heroin as a Schedule One narcotic. And so that right. testing that you're talking about is probably not going to be as widespread as we'd like until the Biden administration changes that or maybe the future administration after that. Good Lord. Interesting. So if you want to figure out whether or not your weed is contaminated, this is what you need to do. Check your packaging because um, all the goods sold by a licensed dispensary should be labeled uh, with the name of the cultivation facility that grew um, your weed. The CCB has compiled a spreadsheet of affected products uh, and dispensaries. So get the full list in the show notes. Be safe. Handle your business. Sonia and David, you're amazing and wonderful humans. Thank you for oh. kicking it on today on the show with me. Thank you, Vogue. This was fun. Thanks, Absolutely. Vogue. That is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets and our hosts are me, Vogue Robinson, and David Figler. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwubi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and share this episode with a friend, probably the one who smokes. Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back on Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Um, I'm going to have Ray call Spark back in. He's just barking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sparky Spark. Get his little cameos in.